Good morning. It's really good to be with you. I have a favor, and uh, and that favor is simply this, the same energy that you just gave us in the time of worship. Would you just give that same energy, not to me, I don't need it, but to the word of God that we are about to uh, dive into because I really want us to spend some time with Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn to John 6. If you have your smartphones, tablets, whatever, get to John chapter 6. So Daniel did say something about fresh bread. And so I just wanted to kind of give us a little morsel uh, kind of as we get ready to move into that series. And so I'm a hospice chaplain, and so I get to do life with people in the last six months or less of their lives before they pass into the next uh, eternity. And so it's been a privilege for me to do that for almost three years. I love it, and I wish I would have been doing it for 20 years. But in, in the process of doing that, I connected with one of our volunteers. We have volunteers who sign up, and, and one of the things they do is go into the patient's home and just spend extra time with them if the family needs anything. And so through this uh, relationship with John, John finally came back and said, hey, I volunteer my other time at Cape Town in Cape Girardeau. And so I was wondering if you could do me a favor, and what's that? And he said, I would love for you to consider coming to Cape Town the first Thursday of each month and do storytelling time with the residents. That's not easy, you know, to, to, to have story. I don't, you know, and I'm not the kind of guy that wants to read a book to people. I want to be able to make eye contact and, and look at people. And so I, I said, sure, I, I will be happy to do it. And his goal behind that process was that, the residents don't want to be there any more than anybody else. And so for 35 minutes, you have the opportunity to help them forget about the reality. And they find a little bit of freedom, refreshment. And so just, just to watch their faces as I tell stories, man, I, I just, I don't know how the stories come about. So one of the things I've done is taken scriptures and turn stories into kind of a, you know, use your imaginations, and it's been working, but just to watch them. And so this morning, here's what I want to offer you. World is maddening right now. And so I say for 30 minutes, you and I have the privilege just to leave that out there. And for the 30 minutes, what I want to do is just talk about Jesus. Are we good with that? Nothing else but just Jesus. Let's just, there's no, there's no agenda, there's no points, there's, there's nothing at all that I want to accomplish except for you and I to walk away from here going, the faithfulness of Jesus is good and I want it more. And so that's the journey that we're going to take this morning. And so with that same energy, let's lean in. So John chapter 6, it's a beautiful story. So last summer, I'm speaking to about 150, uh, 150 junior hires at a camp. And one of the stories that comes up is that I need to tell the story about the boy with the loaves and the fish. And so it's a story that I've been around in ministry long enough that it's sort of kind of second nature. And so I sort of kind of said, I, I, wanna, I want to approach the story with new eyes. In fact, we should always read the scriptures with new eyes. Even familiar stories you just always ask the Holy Spirit to give us new eyes and new ears every time we open up the scriptures. And so I, I sit down with John chapter 6, and, uh, and, and let, I'm going to share with you where my journey went, okay? And one of the, the interesting parts of the story is if you read the story in Matthew 14, it doesn't mention the boy. If you read the story in Mark 6, it doesn't mention the boy. In Luke 9, it doesn't mention the boy. But in John 6, there's a boy that's mentioned. 
And so my oldest, no, not my oldest, but the oldest that lives at the house now, uh, once said to me, whatever happened to the boy in the feeding of the 5,000, he loses his resources and then it's like he's no more. And I thought, you know what? That's a great question. And here's the reality. The truth is we don't know because scriptures do not tell us. And I did tell her, I said, but here's the truth. The truth is the boy's not the point of the story. And so that's why we don't know anything about the boy. In fact, uh, the only point of the story is the faithfulness of Jesus. And so that's all I want to do for, I just want us to escape from the reality. And I want us to look at the story. But I want us to look at the story. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a little bit of liberty. And I ask for a little bit of grace because I'm going to talk about the boy. Okay? I'm going to come up with my own little journey that I took last summer to a place where I think with other scripture help, we can know a little bit about what happened with the boys. Let's have fun. A little bit of fun, okay? It's not, it's not God's word through and through because it's not in there, but I want to be consistent with God's word, and I think you're going to agree with me by the end of this that you're going to be like, that seems fair, Okay? I want to start off with this verse in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Easy verse to memorize, worth your time to memorize it. You can memorize it right now. And it simply says this, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And as we get exposed to the Jesus here in John chapter 6, I want you thinking about that quote, and I'm going to throw it out there a couple times because I want you to remember that the Jesus that we're going to talk about in John chapter 6 is the same Jesus that you have at our access today. He's no different. Same yesterday, today, forevermore. I'm excited about this, and I hope you are too. So John chapter 6, here's how the story goes. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberian. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with the disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So big moment, millions of people coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. That's why it's crowded. So when, when the scriptures say it was crowded, it was like crowded. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Now look at verse 6. He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Here's where I think we need to pause real quick and just take a deep breath. But I want you to understand this this morning. Jesus already knows what he's going to do in your life. And it's good. Not easy, but good. In fact, his ways sometimes is a little bit too much. You ever at times in your life go cry out for mercy? Like, mercy, I quit, I'm done, I give up, stop. But it's good. It's always good. There's a process that Jesus is always doing. And let me give you a little bit of context here. If you jump over to Mark chapter 6, maybe this week you could kind of do it on your own just for fun. But Mark chapter 6 is a story after a story after a story after a story and after a story. And in the middle of those stories is Jesus sends the disciples out two by two. And he gives the disciples the same authority that he has. Which, by the way, today, the authority that Jesus gave the disciples is the same authority that he's given you and I today as well. Take a deep breath of that. 
And so he sends them out, and eventually, guess what they do? They were successful in their ministry. Like, the authority that Jesus gave them, it works. Why? Because it always works. Jesus always wins. And so the disciples come back, but what's interesting, and I have fallen in this same category in my own personal life, I have to confess, but they come back, and you know what they're reporting to Jesus and the other disciples? Guess what we did? Guess what we did? Let me tell you what I did. And so I love Jesus because here's what he's doing. He's handing the baton on to the disciples like they're going to carry on the kingdom mission. There is no plan B. Like the angels are going, Lord, is there a plan B? Because these knuckleheads aren't going to get it. Jesus says, there is no plan B, and these knuckleheads will get it, although I don't think Jesus would call anyone knucklehead. But anyway, regardless, Jesus doesn't have a plan B because these men are going to get it, and he is successful, and he's going to help them catch the vision. And even through their roller coaster waves, just like you and I go through roller coasters, Jesus will succeed, and the mission will continue on. And how do we know that? Why are you here this morning? <laughs> the mission has. And it's going to continue. And now you and I get to carry that mission. Wow, how great. But pride is, a, I know too much about pride in my own life. Pride can destroy things quickly. So they come back and they said, look at what we've done. So Jesus, Jesus masterfully said, as he's looking at the 5,000, Mark chapter 6, he says, okay, boys, it's good to hear. Hey, do me a favor. I want you to go out and feed those 5,000 people. Wait, we can't, what? Humility. A little dose of humility. But let me tell you, Jesus is really good about timing with humility. He doesn't condemn. He doesn't shame. He has a way of bringing about humility so that we get a taste of it and go, all right, Lord, work with me here. Work with me. Because he wants us to be a reflection of who he is today. That's how the mission carries on. You and I are mission-minded people who are increasing his kingdom. But we need to look more like him. We need to spend time with Jesus. And so, so here's the story now in John chapter 6. You've got a little bit of a context now because Jesus is trying to do a little bit of teaching here with his disciples. So he says to Philip, all right, join back with me. Philip, feed him. And Philip, he's testing Philip. So Philip replies in verse seven, even if we work for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother spoke up. There's a young boy here. It's not mentioned in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, but why does John mention it? I don't know, but I love it. It's kind of fun. Hey, Andrew says, there's this young boy here with five loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? And Jesus says, tell everyone to sit down. Okay, that's all we know about the boy. Story's done. My 17-year-old daughter's going, well, dad, what happened to the boy? So this morning, we're going to talk about the boy. But let me say it again. The boy is not the point of the story. Okay? Jesus and his faithfulness in the midst of this moment is the point of the story. But let me tell you what I personally believe as I kind of dug into the soil of the story and I tried to smell it and taste it and hang out with it last summer and it really penetrated my heart. And so this is a testimony of what I felt like the the, the word of the Lord said to me and I want to just share it with you because it's kind of refreshing. And here's what I think happens. We don't know anything about the boy. 
the three other gospel writers don't even mention him. John mentions him, but we don't know where he came from. But what we do know is he had five and two, seven pieces of resources. So we don't know if he was trying to sell things. You know, we remember the days of kids. I don't know if kids still do this, but where they put up the lemonade stand out in the front yard to try to sell lemonade to make some money. All right. I don't know if that's boy in the story is trying to do that, trying to make some money. Uh, here's what I kind of went with my just kind of in my story. I felt like the boy in the story, his dad died. Culturally, in the, in the Bible times, what happens is when the dad dies, the oldest son inherits two thirds of what the dad had. And not only inherits what the dad has, but he's also responsible for the family. This is a possibility. This is not in scripture, but is this, could this be a possibility? And so the, the boy has his seven resources and he's going from point A to point B to take care of the rest of his family. And somehow he comes across the scene, although Jesus is always in the process of working things. I love it. Even in your life. And this boy comes, Andrew catches him. I don't know what the conversation's like, but eventually what happens is the boy gives up his resources. Might very well be the lunch for his family that day, but he gives it up. And do you think the boy just walked away? I don't think so. Let's, let's, let's put ourselves into the story just for a second. If I had seven resources of things and I'm walking from A to B and all of a sudden I get stopped and somebody who I don't know, a stranger says, hey, can we have those items? We're in a little bit of a pickle. And so the boy gives it over and curiosity has to say, what's your plans with these? To which Jesus, who I'm guessing the boy doesn't know anything about, hands this stuff and says, what are you going to do with these? And Jesus says, you see those 5,000 people over there? We're going to feed them. And the boy says, I think I'm going to stick around and see how this plays out. Because I don't think this is going to work. And so, all due respect, sir, I'm going to just step over here in the shade of this tree. And I'm going to watch how this process works. Possibility. And here's where my heart went just a step further. If that's a possibility, who in the story was probably impacted most that day? It wasn't the disciples. We can read the rest of the Gospels and realize they didn't get it. Remember the night before Jesus was arrested and beaten and mocked? Peter said, I don't know the man. I've never been around him. So clearly we would say in John chapter 6, we don't think the disciples got it. And you've been at a formal event before where you're sitting around table and you're talking away and all of a sudden food shows up and you don't go. You never once, neither have I gone, gee, where did that food come from? Food shows up and we're like, all right, bon appetit, let's eat. So what I have to tell you, and, and he says it in John 6 and other passages, the people sitting on the hillside aren't amazed at the miracle that Jesus is performing because they don't care about the spirituality of all this. They care about the physicality. Like if you read later on in John chapter six, they all make their way from here over to the other side of the sea because they were like, if Jesus shows up, he's going to feed us again. So I think if we can venture out on this story a little bit, and it's dangerous, the person who's impacted the most in that story is the boy. I want to come to a place at the end of this talk, and you'll see why. 
But I'm on dangerous ground, so here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at two other passages of Scripture so that we can have a little bit of understanding of the faithfulness of God so that we can all agree biblically that this is a possibility. With me? 1 Kings chapter 17. Okay, 1 Kings chapter 17. we're We're just separating ourselves from the reality of the world. We're just spending time together, having fun, looking at stories in the Bible, and just taking a deep breath at the faithfulness of God. So here's what happens. So first of all, Elijah is called by God to be a prophet, to be a voice of truth in a dark place. And it's dark. Like this may be one of the darkest places in the history of God's people. In fact, on the throne right now at this point is Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel may be considered one of the most wicked women that ever lived on the face of the earth. That's how dark this season is. And Elijah now has been tapped on his shoulder to be the voice of truth. And so Elijah is hanging down at the brook of Kareth. All right. God has led him there and he's at the brook and things are happening. Like there's water flowing, fresh water, there's food. But then the Lord says to Elijah and has warned the people, there's a severe famine coming on the land because of your disobedience. And so eventually guess what happens? If God says something's going to happen, what's going to happen? Why God said it was going to happen. So a famine happens on the land. And so now all of a sudden, the brook dries up. There are no more water. And the ravens who are bringing Elijah like some food, which is amazing, are like, we're out of here because there's no food for us. So now at this point, Elijah's got nothing. So the Lord says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Zarephath. And I've, got, I've, I've already moved ahead of the situation, which, by the way, God's always ahead of you. Sometimes that causes questions. I get that. But what I hope and what I'm praying for is that actually allows us to take a deep breath and go, he's got this. So Elijah now has to travel roughly 85 miles from this brook to Zarephath. That's like going from Festus to Cape. By the way, there's a famine in the land. Okay, but this is what the Lord says. All right, we'll pick up in... Verse 6. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in a village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. What does that process look like? I'll tell you. I don't know. Just a stirring in her soul that something unique is going to go down. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know what it looks like. We've experienced that at different times, but in this moment, I don't know what that moment is, but there's a stirring in her soul that she has a task to do that day. So here's how this goes. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow getting sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he said, oh, and by the way, could you give me a bite of bread to eat as well? She said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a bottom of the jug. No, I have a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook the last meal. And when my son and then my son and I will die. Elijah walks up on the scene. God's already ahead of the situation. Wish he's always ahead of our situation. Take a deep breath. And so Elijah shows up on the scene, sees this woman, and says, could you give me a drink of water? And while you're at it, could you make me some bread? She goes, here's the deal. I'm, I got nothing. The famine is so severe that all she's got left is this piece of bread that she's going to make for her son 
and herself. And then what is she going to do? Die. Why? No more resources. They got nothing else in the house. There's not even a cracker in the house. Done. And Elijah says, okay, I feel your pain. I'm going to move on to somebody else. Evidently, you are not the right person in Zarephath. That's not what he says. Well, God, you, uh, we're, we're in a bad pickle now. Now, this is what Elijah said. Don't be afraid. Come on. Really? That mom is petrified. You know what a mom's love is like? I can't even, I can't even fathom it. But you know what a mom is going to do for her kids? You don't get between a mom and her kids. You just don't. Elijah says, don't be afraid. Hmm. Which, by the way, that's going to come back around here in a few minutes. Go ahead and do what you said, but make a little bread for me first. How selfish. Right? That's it. Sometimes you want to read scripture and go, you're so selfish. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. Wow. Let me just be honest. That widow in Zarephath does not jump on board 100%. Can we at least have a little bit of grace around that? We sometimes as Christians think, man, I got to have my act together. No, no, no. Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you ever seen a mustard seed? No, why? They're that small. And Jesus says, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, move, and it will move. And so what I want you to understand is that this widow in Zarephath has the faith the size of a mustard seed evidently enough for her to react. We can say that we have faith, but our faith becomes real when we take a step. We could say we have faith all day long, but I'm telling you, faith becomes a reality when you and I finally take a step. And there's times in our lives, and you know it as well as I do, there's times in our life going, I'm going to make a step, and I think this might be a bad mistake, but I'm going to do it. And Jesus is going, come on, come on. I want people, I want people walking by faith, even if it's shaky. And so this woman, size of a mustard seed, I hope this works. <laughs> she does what Elijah tells her to do, feeds Elijah, and she's got resources until the famine is over with. Why until the famine's over with? Well, then the rain's back, the crops are growing, and she's got all of her resources back. That's fun, isn't it? Let's do another story, all right? Let's separate ourselves from the reality of the world that we live in, and let's just have some fun. Second Kings 4, okay? So that was Elijah. Now we're going to do Elisha. So Elijah and Elisha are walking together for roughly 10 years, maybe longer than that. And then Elijah is escorted into eternity. And so now Elisha is the voice of truth in a dark world. And here's what happens with Elisha. Chapter 4, verse 1. One day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead. And you know how he feared the Lord, but now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. So Elijah says, what can I do to help you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? 
And you know what she says? I literally have nothing except for a container and some oil. You know why she said that? Because she has literally tried to get rid of everything else to make enough money to pay off the debtors. All she's got left, friends, all she's got left is a container and oil. So here's what Elisha says. All right. Borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into the house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. This is kind of fun. Remember the old days when you could go, man, we are out of sugar. I really want this. I think I'm going to go over to Betty and see if I can borrow some sugar. Those days are long gone, man. You're like, dude, I really want this. I'm going to have to go over to a neighbor I don't know because I've never talked to. And I'm not going to ask for sugar. And so I think we're going to bypass on the cornbread and have cereal tonight, kids. <laughs> Crazy. So Elisha tells the boys and the mom, go c- c- collect containers. And you, you get the sense of Elisha going, and don't collect five. Collect as many as you possibly can which means these boys and the mom are probably going to parts of the neighborhood they've never been, knocking on the door going, do you have a container? And the people are going, what's the container for? And the mom goes, "Mm, I don't know. I'm just supposed to get containers. Guys, are you serious? She doesn't have a plan. She doesn't know how this process is going to work out. All she knows is the man of the Lord said, go get some containers. And by faith, the size of a mustard seed, she stepped out and gathered containers. And guess what happens? She brings the containers back. And as long as they have containers, the oil is flowing. And here's what it says. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars and they kept filling them up one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. She says, bring me another jar. And the boy said, mom, there are no more jars. And the oil of olive oil stopped flowing. Elisha, <laughs> it's like, well, I'm not going to be a part of this uh, campaign of collecting containers. I'll disappear and reappear when the time is present. I always laugh going, where was Elisha during this? But it says this, when, the, when she told the man of God what had happened, he told her, now you go out and sell this, these containers with olive oil, pay off your debts so that you and your sons can live together. By faith, she took a step and God responds. The boy. Can we go back to the boy now? Now that we've done those two pictures, let's go back to the boy. We don't know anything about the boy. I don't know anything about the widow in Zarephath except for what's in the scripture. We definitely don't know the context of the mom with the two sons. All we know is from the story, by faith, they, re- they responded and God reacted. The boy is like, here you go. Good luck. And he stands back and let me just, this is where my mind went last summer. The boy going. How's he doing this? What? There's no strings attached. This is how, this is unexplainable. Who is this guy? 
What I know about the faithfulness of the Lord, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, what I know about the faithfulness of God is when you and I respond by faith, even the size of a mustard seed, he responds. He can't help but respond. Here's how I think this plays out. You know what happens? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all four say, when they are done, everybody in the field's full, how many basketfuls are left? 12 basketfuls are left. Is it possible? Because this boy, by faith, gave up his supplies that Jesus looks at James, Peter, and John and says, hey, boys, pick up a couple of those basketfuls and walk with this boy home. His needs have been met. Can you imagine the boy when he gets home? My mom would respond, where have you been? We have been waiting for you. And who are these three guys that you brought into our home? And he's going, Mom, you would not believe this. But this man named Jesus, he has no understanding of who Jesus is. He has no theological, Christology, depth of who Jesus is. All he knows is by faith, he simply gave up his supplies and he sit there and he watched Jesus supply Time and time again. Which, by the way, you want to talk about the Christian life? You want to know what the Christian life looks like in a nutshell? Another sermon. So stop that sermon. Here's a free sermon. Ten seconds. The disciples do not have basketfuls all over them. You know what they have to do? They have to take a basket, pour it out, come back, and get filled up. And who's doing the filling up? That's how we live the Christian life, friends. Spend time with Jesus, we fill up, and then we pour out. And then when we're empty we come back to jesus we fill up and we pour out there's a that's the christian life and so here's this boy going mom mom my siblings that i really don't care but gather around this is really cool this man named jesus and i'm sitting there and i'm envious of this boy because what ever happened to childlike faith the young people in this room don't lose childlike faith please Please capture the beauty of childlike faith because today we have to have everything explained. I'm not going to take a step, Lord, until you tell me what the plans are. No, childlike faith is like, I don't know what I'm about to get into, but I'm going to do it. And if mom and dad yell at me, then I know next time not to do it. The boy does what he does, and he goes home and he goes, this man named Jesus. You know what we need to do today? I'm, I'm convicted of this more than anybody else. We need to just talk about Jesus. I'm serious. We need to spend time with Jesus. We need to talk about Jesus. We need to stop talking about programs and ministry and numbers and this and this. We just need to simply talk about Jesus. And we need to spend time with Jesus. You will talk about what you're spending time with. You will talk about what you're spending time with. And I'm begging you, this is critical. More than any other time in the history of our church, we need to be spending time with Jesus and falling in love with Jesus and filling ourselves up with Jesus and then going out and talking about Jesus because the world needs it. We are mentally and emotionally flipping out because the news, the politics, everything else outside the church is trying to jack us up. And if you and I are not careful, we're going to get exposed to that and we're going to sink and we're not going to be any different than anybody else in the world. But we have the truth and the truth is Jesus. And John 8 says, and the truth will set you free. 
And I don't want to be like the rest of the world. You can have the world, but give me Jesus. I'm going to ask the band to come. And we're going to go into this time of prayer. I, here's the reality. I want to go into the second part of the story, but I knew I wasn't going to have time, but I wanted to save this story. And so here's what I felt like the Lord led us into. And that is we're going to go into a time of prayer. The second part of John 6 is from there, the disciples are in a storm. Okay, But here's how I want to paint this picture for you. They fed the 5,000. It's late at night. So Jesus tells the disciples, get in the boat. Go across the sea, and I will join you on the other side. It's not like the disciples come up to Jesus and go, we are exhausted, it's late, we need some sleep. This is our plan. No, no, no. Listen to me, friends. Here's what happens. Jesus sent them out into the boat, into the sea, and he gave a storm a permission to arise at 3 in the morning. There's some of you sitting in this room right now in the midst of a storm. And this storm has you. And I want to say, first of all, I'm sorry that you're in this situation. But I want you to understand a couple other things. Jesus allowed it. Questions? I get it. But let me tell you, he's doing something good. In the midst of that storm, he's going to do something that's worth it. I'm a track coach right now. I I work with students in the weight room. I said, it hurts now, but it's going to pay off later. It hurts now, spiritually, but it's going to pay off later. It hurts now, but it's going to pay off later. And you might be in a storm, and the storm that you're in is because Jesus allowed it to happen. Why? Because he adores you. And he's going to see you through it. So what we're going to do is I'm going to pray, and then lyrics of this song, you're just going to be in a spirit of prayer. Okay, we've, I, I, we've never done this before to my recollection, but we're going to look at these lyrics. We're going to pray these lyrics and we're going to listen. So let's pray. Dear Father, some of us right now are in a storm that is just too much, too much. We're, we're like calling time out, mercy, I want out. But Lord, you brought the storm. But what I want to speak into the hearts of my friends here this morning is you called the storm and you will eventually send the storm out you will send the storm away. And in the midst of the storm, friends, these are the words I want you to chew on right now. In the midst of the storm, Jesus, you said, take courage, do not be afraid, for I am with you. In the midst of the storm, Jesus, you said to the disciples, do not Be afraid, take courage, for I am with you. Friends, let's sit in that place for a little bit.